Hello and welcome to Seeing Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. This week, plenty of games across England and Scotland were called off due to snow. How do you go about making the right decision to play a game or to postpone it? There's a farce in Portugal as one side has to start a match with nine players, two of them goalkeepers. And once again, the Premier League delivers its fair share of controversy. We'll sort the good decisions from the bad. I'm Mike McCarthy, a football journalist who's ended up at a few games over the years, called off due to the weather. With me, as always, former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett, who's had the job on many occasions of deciding if play goes ahead. How you doing, Keith? Yeah, good evening. Delighted to be on. Um, now, before we start and talk about the snow over the weekend, can I just get your take on this? An FA Trophy clash between Curzon Ashton and Chester had to be stopped when the referee was asked to move his car. Uh, the two teams, it was goalless, 15 minutes into the game, there's a tannoy announcement, the car needs to be moved outside the stadium, and then according to Chester's official Twitter, uh, the referee then informed a steward that it was in fact his vehicle uh, that was causing an obstruction, uh, and they had to stop the game for a few minutes while he moved it. Um, can you relate to this at all, Keith? You ever had difficulty parking your car before a game? I, I once remember going to uh, Aston Villa for a cup game, and uh, they wouldn't let me in. What? I thought it was a bit of a joke at the time. I'd take my managing director with me to uh, just to get a, a few bonus points and uh, telling him how referees were treated and how, how it was good, good to get to Villa Park. And uh, I arrived, wound the window down, said uh, Keith Hackett, referee. And the guy goes, no, sorry. And I thought he was joking initially. And then it's quite serious. And he's saying, look, the referee's already arrived. And I've gone, no, he hasn't. It's me. And I, I was getting <laughs> a little bit annoyed uh, because I'd clearly got a job's worth on the, on the job. I then had to go up the road and, and find a parking spot. And you can imagine there's lots of side streets in and around Villa. I managed to find one. And uh, I think my managing director was less impressed uh, that, I'm now walking him to the ground. And fortunately, I knew there was like a gate that further round that I could get in. So I managed to sneak in. What I did do then was I went in the dressing room. I was so annoyed. And I said, look, guys, I'm getting changed in the shower. And when anybody comes in and asks for Keith Hackett, tell them there's not, he's not turned up. And at that point, I phoned the secretary of the club and said, I just can't arrive. I'm really, really sorry. Can't get into the ground. So I've had to turn around. I'm on my way back to Sheffield and put the phone off. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's so important that, you know, and this is the difficulty, isn't it? I think I think clubs have got to allocate a parking spot for the match official. And so who had your parking place? Do you know? Did you ever find out? Um, well, I, I one of the things that happened in the Premier League was that Space for parking was getting more and more limited. And so as a consequence, we brought in the arrangement that the match officials, all of them, would meet at a hotel in close proximity to the ground and then be driven in on a, on a people carrier. And that was the arrangement because sometimes we'd, we'd, we'd turn up and someone had, had taken our parking spot. And, and, of course, then the other side of it was to Anfield, 
you'd uh, you'd park your car in Stanley Park, and uh, if the game hadn't gone well for you on the way back, there was a few people telling you face to face <laughs> that uh, you could have refereed a bit better. Oh yeah. dear. Well, yeah, it's it's nice to know actually because amongst journalists that uh, parking arrangements at Premier League and other grounds is is a topic of conversation. It's kind of good to know that it's something that affects referees as well. Um I'll tell you what affected a lot of referees this weekend was the snow, Keith. Uh, Burnley Spurs called off with 50 minutes to go before kickoff because of uh, heavy snow at Turf Moor. Uh, the games involving Manchester City and at Leicester as well. Big flurries of snow during the match in both of those games. There were periods where the game was delayed, essentially, uh, so ground staff could clear the pitch. And then plenty of other games from grassroots level all the way up to uh, the top flights, as we mentioned with the Burnley game, have seen postponements. So when it comes to snow and deciding what's playable and what isn't, how do you go about making that call? Well, I think in my day, of course, there weren't as many pitches that, or fields that had under-soil eating. Um, so the, the the first thing is safety, and that is not just for the players; it's for the spectators. So in in my day, you would have to walk around the stadium and make certain that footpaths, steps in the uncovered areas in the stadiums were all cleared of snow. But I can remember one game going to uh, an FA Cup game at South End, three hundred and odd mile drive. Uh, they were playing uh, Liverpool. And on the first occasion, I called it off. The second occasion, midweek, I arrived. The pitch was okay. Um, so we were ready to go. And uh, I'm sat in the dressing room when the, the, the linesman came in and, and he was covered white over. And I, I was absolutely shocked. And he said, it's snowing, Keith. Have you looked at the pitch? And I walked out of the tunnel and, and the pitch was covered in snow. And I've, I've gone, Wow. Uh, got the ball out. Uh, it was still a little bit playable. Asked the groundsman if he got any red or blue paint to paint the lines, get some semblance of lines. This game was going to be live on TV. So um, everybody was ready. And I thought, we're getting close to an abandonment here. I had the uh, chief police officer come in and advise me that if I was going to abandon... He needed time. The spectators, by the way, were in the ground. We were that close to kickoff. And then uh, Bob Paisley came into the dressing room with the manager of South End. I think it was Dave Smith. And they had a conversation, said, look, Keith, uh, Bob Paisley said, look, I don't want to bring my team back to South End with the greatest respect. It's such a long way. I don't think anybody's going to be seriously injured. Give it a try. So with their cooperation... I walked out to the middle. I can remember handing a 50 pence to Emily News, who'd already said to me, are you sure you're going to play this game? And it was a 50 pence coin. He threw it in the air. It landed in the snow. He forgot to catch it. <laughs> he shouted heads. He shouted heads. I wasn't going to go back to the touchline to borrow a coin off a linesman. So I just said, it's tails, Emily. And he goes, you what? I said, it's tails. <laughs> How did you make that out? I said, so on the way down. <laughs> and we got on with the game. And we played. It, you can see that game on YouTube. And, uh, you know, a lot of my colleagues at the time were ringing me up and saying, are you such? Are you sure to cash? 
that you had to play that game. And I went, I didn't want to go by the South End and neither did Liverpool. So I was in agreement with both managers. We got the game played. Well, I mean, that, that seems like the key thing, isn't it? You know, that, that you had the agreement of the managers because normally you might get, you know, one with, you know, a few injuries and thinking, well, if the game is abandoned, then in a few weeks' time, we might be better placed to play it. The, the fact that both of them were okay, was that was that key for you? Not necessarily. I think sometimes when you're making a pitch inspection, you have to go out on your own. The first guy that you contact is the groundsman. He, he understands it fully. And, I, you know, I've had situations at Lincoln City with Dick Chester, who became secretary of Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United at one stage in his career. Uh, and Dick would call me in on a Friday evening sometimes, and I'd go down there and make that, that pitch inspection. I can remember doing um, Lincoln versus Nuneaton in the Cup, and one side of the field under the stand was really frostbound. We got that game underway. One of the things that you do is you, you have to make out very clearly the safety issue, I've, as I've already mentioned, and whether in fact you're going to get a deterioration in the ground. So you're checking the weather forecast to make certain that you've got a good reading and, and that you're not going to get an abandonment. I think games are called off or delayed too quickly now, but, but then that's the nature of how the game has progressed. The playing surfaces have got much better. There's, you know, uh, less reliance on putting at risk a game because of the, the, the ground conditions. But I used to think, what about these fans? They've travelled all the way. You know, you take Leeds United going to Brighton, okay, it wasn't snow. But even Craig Porson, who refereed that match, had to get out of Sheffield. We know, we know what it was like. So in that situation, you're going to often be travelling on a Friday or even on a Thursday, to make certain that you're in the vicinity of the ground and you're not going to get caught with difficulties. And this is one of the problems uh, facing uh, local football, where you know lots of referees can be travelling around Sheffield and South Yorkshire to determine whether a game is on or not. I, I was quite pleased that the North Counties East that I was looking at put out literally a memo saying, look, you don't have to rely on it. The weather was so bad. You don't have to rely on calling in the match referee. If need be, call a local referee or or actually make that decision as grown-ups. And I, and I think that often uh, results in the, in the correct decision. A lot of games abandoned, no risk. But I can remember Villa. I could, you know, when, when I smile about all these games that I've been involved in, I, I once went to Aston Villa. The pitch was like concrete. I've looked at it and I've, there's no way we're going to play. And the, I walked the both managers out on the field and they agreed. We'd, we'd spoken to the police. We'd, we'd actually spoke to the radio uh, station so the media were aware that this game was on. And I'm sat in my dressing room um, getting, getting, if you like, my boots off when in came the chef at Villa who really had a massive go at me. And I've said, well, what's your problem, mate? You're not going to have to cook. And he pre-prepared about a 1,000 steaks. And uh, he was unhappy. He said, and he told me what he'd done. And I mistakenly said, mine's medium rare. I'll have it now. <laughs> and uh, he used a few expletives, and the door almost came off its hinges with him leaving the, 
the stadium. So, yeah, those are things that happen. One of the things that I noticed today about the uh, the Premier League games where there was snow on the pitch um, and the winter ball that the Premier League are using, for me, it's not visible enough. I don't know whether you picked this up or, or, or yeah. not, Keith. It, it, there are times that I, I think the ball's getting lost. And I don't think it's bright enough or, or, or yellow enough or orange enough or whatever it needs to be. I don't think enough people can see it. Well, I think that'd be interesting for the... For the Premier League, because I think, first of all, the referees should be reporting that. The PGMOL uh, might be advising. Um, you know, this is really the first weekend, I think, in a long time that we've seen snow covering football pitches and lines having to be swept, delays being being saying, when these happen. But, you know, um, they used to have a system. I, I don't know if it still applies, where they had the high-vis ball, bright yellow, the brightest yellow ever. Um, and sometimes that's, you know, not seen as clearly on TV. And, of course, it was plain yellow. But back to the gate ball itself, it has to have certain black markings on it or coloured markings in order for goal line technology to operate. Uh, and that's why you probably get a ball that is a mixed colour mm. rather than uh, a whole yellow or high-vis yellow, or orange, dare I say. Well, hopefully we don't have to worry about this too often through the season. Um, let's concentrate then on on some of the action from the Premier League this weekend, uh, starting at Stamford Bridge. Uh, a couple of incidents to get into here. Anthony Taylor in charge, and uh, one of his first big jobs was to award uh, Chelsea a penalty. Wan-Bissaka with the foul as uh, an outstretched leg of a Chelsea player uh, goes in front of him on the blind side almost as he's attempting to clear. It's a foul, but it's one of those ones that feels extremely harsh, Keith. It does look harsh, but the reality is that that players have got to be ultra-careful in terms of not committing a careless challenge. That's part of the laws of the game and part of the skill set that they've got to employ. You know, I think this was a bit of good officiating. Just to clarify, because a number of people have contacted me on social media, fans, saying that the ball wasn't in the penalty area. It's where the offence took place, not where the ball is. Uh, the ball never committed an offence, players do. So as a consequence, um, it was a penalty kick. I, I have to say, I thought uh, Anthony Taylor's reading of the game was terrific. I thought his movement, he was really concentrating. Um, I thought it was a top-class performance. If I've, if I've got any criticism, and I think his colleagues as well, it, it's certainly the area in relation to that delayed flag, which then resulted in a corner kick. Yeah, so this is, for people who haven't seen this, this is Ronaldo being played through uh, on the left wing, uh, essentially. He is a yard or so offside. Oh, easily. And it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty clear. Um, and then he goes on. He doesn't take the shot on, though. It's cleared behind for a corner. And at that point, I was expecting the, the flag to, to go up. I mean, it should have just gone up anyway, oh. right? Now, but so it's just an offside that's been missed, rather than a, potentially a delayed flag here. Looking at the process of it, Keith. Well, it's an offside that's been missed. I can't believe that an assistant referee would miss that. To be honest, um, because it was, as you say, it wasn't a tight call. It looked very clear on on uh, on replays. Thankfully, uh, from the corner, it got the ball was cleared. But I think that um, 
the manager of Chelsea was unhappy with that. And I think that when you, you know, when you're at the elite level, these are the types of things that you could put you in jail because you've got so many skilled players on the field that they can make something out of nothing. So I think that this delayed flag worries me. It worries me on the basis of the goalkeeper coming out and clashing with the forward and, and somebody sustaining a serious injury. Uh, the other thing about Anthony Taylor, I felt, was that um, I, I just wish at times he'd put his foot on the ball because, in a way, he, he's right in law, let me say this, that when he issues the yellow cards, he's perfectly correct in law. But I just wonder if at some stage you might have a chat uh, and be, I think, slightly less sort of quick with the cards. Just put his foot on the ball, stop the play. No, I can't criticise him on application of law. It's just about managing the game. Now, Brentford Everton had a, a slightly interesting call in it. Uh, Mike getting in touch at scene underscore them underscore given is our handle on Twitter. You can email the show as well. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk. Mike says this, holding in the box is rarely given. Why? An utterly woeful Everton had a good claim for a penalty on the stroke of half time. Missed by the referee and VAR ignores it when replays show it was a blatant pull. What's going on? Uh, Well, uh, Keith, what did you make of this? This was the the televised um, first game this afternoon. Yeah, well, I mean... We saw Tyron Mings, if you remember, Villa, in the penalty area, jump up for a ball a few weeks ago, and the shirt being pulled off his back by about 18 inches, and some idiot at the uh, at Premier League or PGML explaining that wasn't a foul. Well, it was. The laws of the game are quite clear about holding. In this case, this is a foul and a penalty kick. The referee doesn't see it, assuming that he's not seeing it, uh, see it because he's not issued a sanction. That's when VAR comes in because that is a clear and obvious error, and and it, it's a penalty kick every day and all day. So I do, I was bemused by it because it is so obvious, and yet that's where where it is. Uh, it's a curious one. I mean, it's not the only uh, debatable penalty uh, that we saw this weekend either. Uh, that one not given. Newcastle feeling they should have had one as well at Arsenal on the Saturday lunchtime game. Uh, Eddie Howe. Uh, questioning afterwards, and I guess you would have heard this from managers a lot, why would my player go down in that particular situation? Uh, and this is a challenge on, on Callum Wilson. There's a, almost a, a shoulder in the back of him as he's entering the penalty area uh, at, at this game between Arsenal and Newcastle. So is that a question that referees can can use almost to, to logically work through what's happened? Why would a player hit the ground if they weren't fouled. Is that something that they can ask? Well, I think that the difficulty here is, and the dilemma for referees is that there's too many players uh, in the game do go down in acts of simulation that are difficult to detect. And when they are detected, sometimes I feel that only the free kick is given when, in fact, as a deterrent, a yellow card should follow. So I think I think referees in the game uh, as a whole, those people that coach and manage and those that referee, have got into a bit of a malaise in terms of what is and what isn't. Um, I think there was a justification for a penalty kick. 
it wasn't forthcoming. And I think Eddie Howe has every right to put in a complaint. So it was missed by the referee. I thought that he had that opportunity to come in. He didn't. I thought VAR had the opportunity to come in. I think one of the dilemmas of the VAR now is that where is the line and what is the training that they're getting in terms of what is a clear and obvious error? And and I think the the pendulum swung the other way. Rather than an overindulgent VAR, we've got one now that's generally more reluctant to come in <laughs> And do the job that they're intended for. I guess the pendulum will swing back in a couple of weeks, won't it? Which is the nature of these things. Uh, while we're on the subject of simulation, can we just give uh, credit for what must surely be uh, the greatest dive of all time? Do you see this in the uh, the Copa Libertadores final? Uh, this is the uh, the player who is, uh, I guess, moving back into position, has a, a nudge in the back, the small of his back from the referee, and then collapses to the deck as if he's been, I don't know, bitten by a crocodile or something. I'm not quite sure what happened to him. Um, I don't know how you would have reacted in that situation, Keith. I mean, it was extraordinary. I would have given him a yellow card for sure. Uh, but then my advice to referees, and I think it's really important, don't put your hands on players. Don't make any physical contact with, with players with your hands because uh, that opens the door for them doing the same. You know, they can come back and say, well, he did it to me, I've done it back. I, I, this was an absolute nonsense. I think that it tarnishes the image of the game. So if the referee's not taking any action, hopefully the league will. Uh, and they will punish this player for this blatant sort of I've been shot in the back and dived to the ground I mean I it was it was laughable <laughs> also some farcical scenes in Portugal this week uh, Belenenses against Benfica abandoned now they had 17 players unavailable due to uh, a Covid outbreak so they started this game in the Portuguese top flight with nine players on the pitch including two goalkeepers they were seven nil down at half time uh, they emerged after halftime with just seven players because of a couple of injuries. And then another player went down injured three minutes into the second half, forcing the game to be abandoned due to a, a lack of players. I mean, it, it seems like an extraordinary situation. Clearly, as a referee, if the league's saying this game has to be played, then you have no authority to say otherwise, presumably. But um, have you ever been involved in a game that's been abandoned due to a lack of players, Keith? No, um, obviously uh, I'm aware of, of them, but I, I think that, frankly, this is... Uh, I just think the competition, given that the players generally have got COVID um, and that has reduced the playing squad, I think if I'd have been a, a player of the opposition, I would have probably been saying, look, I don't want to play with that lot because I might get it. I think, you know, the serious part of infection. I, I think it's... I think the, the fans have been cheated here. You know, when I go to a football match, I, I expect an 11 aside. We sometimes don't get that because a player's been sent off or a couple have been sent off. Uh, but uh, my view is that I don't think that game should have started. Obviously, the referee's left with no option uh, that when it goes below seven, seven is the minimum. Once it goes below that, that's it. It's abandoned. That's the laws of the game. It immediately uh, brought my mind back to the uh, the, the Battle of Bramall Lane, uh, which uh, was, I think, the only game in English football ever to be uh, abandoned because of a lack of enough players on the pitch. This was Sheffield United taking on West Brom 
uh, in the late 90s. Neil Warnock and Gary Megson, the two managers <laughs> on opposing sides in this one. I can imagine some of the, the fruity language that might have been on the touchline. Uh, in, I don't yeah. know if there was a fourth official that day. Um, I'm not quite sure if they'd been introduced in, in Division 1 at that point, mm. but um, that would have been uh, quite a, a spicy one to, uh, to officiate over. I mean, I think that's actually one of the reasons I was aware of this law in the first place, because it's just such a rare thing that it's, you know, yeah. that you have to have seven players on the pitch to, to complete the game. Yeah. Eddie Wustenholm, uh, who, who then became a, a referee coach for the PGMOL. I, I remember that distinctly because we all smile at him uh, because we thought that he might've booked a, a show or something and wanted to get home early uh, <laughs> at the time. But uh, the other one, of course, was um, Kevin Lynch. He, he didn't quite get the game abandoned, but, I think he holds quite a substantial record for uh, the number of players he sent off once in a in a game at Chesterfield. Yeah, I think he lives five, on that story it? on his after dinner speeches that he does. Yeah, we, we just found an article earlier. Uh, the English record for red cards in a single match is five. Uh, it was reached twice in 1997. So yeah, February 97, Chesterfield against Plymouth Argyle. There's a red card for a Plymouth player dismissed for a two-footed lunge, and then there is a goal mouth scrap basically uh, after Bruce Grobelar goes down injured uh, four red cards so it finished nine versus eight in that one there are also five reds in a game between Bristol Rovers and Wigan uh, also that same year so uh, very very uh, uh, bizarre scenes in in both of those uh, incidents uh, thankfully well I mean well I, I should ask you now Keith what is there a what's the most you've ever sent off in a game I guess we're going back to Arsenal, Man United, and and I mean you could I guess you could have sent off the lot. Uh, but you I didn't sent off. <laughs> Held the record. I'd got a Guinness <laughs> medal or something. Um, I was talking about that in midweek. I did a, a dinner event at uh, Old Trafford. I, I think that um, I can. I can't. You know, when I look back, I can never remember the players that I sent off. But I didn't send many off. Maybe I was too soft. I would think two at most. Let's go on back to the Premier League then. Uh, and well, Michael Salisbury making his Premier League debut. Uh, Crystal Palace against Aston Villa. Uh, this, uh, well, there's a few incidents to get into. Uh, a red card overturned. There was an advantage which uh, looked like it could have been played but wasn't. And perhaps a little bit cautious there from Michael Salisbury. And um, well, let's let's tackle those individually. With the red card first, Douglas Louise dismissed for a challenge. And then VAR comes to the rescue. Yeah, I think that in in a way, I think it's very difficult for a referee now to to step up from the championship as Michael Salisbury has been doing uh, to the Premier League. He was obviously appointed at the beginning of the season. I can't understand why it's taken thirteen weeks before he gives a get, gives himself a game. So you know, psychologically, the pressure will have been building up. He will have been asking himself, "Am I good enough?" Why haven't I been selected? I really want to get the game. I've passed my fitness test. I'm ready to go. Uh, and I don't think that you feel part of that group unless you have done a Premier League game. So it's gone into a game which I don't think is an easy match. Crystal Palace against Villa. Uh, new manager at Villa. That puts that extra incentive into players. Uh, and they might do the odd naughty thing to get catch the, the eye of Stephen Gerrard. And then you've got Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace, who were expected to be in relegation zone from day one. 
And in fact, under Patrick Vieira, have been doing really good. So I think generally this was going to be a difficult match. Uh, Michael Salisbury looks reasonably fit, but at times, I think just a little bit uh, in the headlights. He was in a good position, so he, he saw the incident. He recognised that it was a foul challenge, but I don't think he gave himself sufficient thinking time because his hand was in his pocket so quick and the red card coming out so quick that you suddenly think, hey, just a minute, just recollect the incident. Does it meet the criteria for a red card? I think it was very fortunate that at a very sensible appointment by the PGMOL to put Paul Tierney, not only an excellent VAR, but also himself, one of our top referees on the game. And uh, when uh, Michael Salisbury got that call, go and have a look at the monitor. I think that was a clear signal. You've got it wrong, son. Uh, you need to change. And I have to say that I thought that he did that really well. There was, you know, a, a negative facial expression. He came back, he, he, he sort of put the red card out and said no, and then he, and then got on with the game. So I think that was right. And I think we got the right call, probably a bit too quick coming in. On the advantage, this is again about a lack of experience at the very highest level. I'm sure that if Michael Salisbury had that incident in the championship, he would have shouted playoff. But the, the thing that he got in front of him was a reckless challenge, a yellow card challenge. He's seen that challenge, he's thought about it, and he's gone blow without the picture of can I apply an advantage. So I think they were right to complain. What really concerns me about current players and this increasing number of instances where players are surrounding the referee, there is within the makeup uh, three or more players that surround the referee, uh, is a report procedure with the FA. And that stimulates this um, failing to control the players. So I hope that somebody at the FA was watching the game closely and will in fact take appropriate action to protect not this referee going forward. Of course, we want him protected, but other referees. It tarnishes the image of the game when the referee's getting surrounded. Yeah, and, and, I, and I don't want to accuse either of the clubs of, of doing this, but it, it, it's you know would seem logical uh that if you know the referee is new to the league and you know that you know he's playing you know refereeing his first game at this level that you might be able to get into his head yeah i think look there are some clubs that have long dossiers on referees there's some who completely do nothing but uh, the first time i ever saw that was at uh, many many years ago at leeds united against Arsenal. I was on the line. The referee was Jack Taylor, the famous Jack Taylor. And uh, he he said, look, uh, they know who I am. They've got a dossier on me. Leeds, uh, Don Revy had that detailed analysis of every referee. They knew what he said was the referee's weaknesses and how to uh, put, put pressure up. And he said, Knowing your own weaknesses as a referee is really important because they're the things that you need to address. And so you learn through these aspects. But yeah, they'll have known he's the first, he's, he's a, it's his first game. Um, I think that when you're new to a competition, uh, then in that sense, I think 
you know, there are times when he could have produced a yellow card. He didn't. He might think about doing that in the future to stop being surrounded by players. And given it's taken this long for him to get his first uh, Premier League game, what's the right step now for the, the Premier League to to take with Michael Salisbury when he's had uh, his debut? Uh, there's been a few things where he would have hoped they would have gone better. Do you stick him in straight away into another game to try and you know work on those things, or uh, does he go back and referee a couple of championship games and get reintroduced over you know the busy Christmas period? How do you how do you manage that situation, Keith? Well, first of all, I think that uh, hopefully he's working with a, a a very experienced coach, and that coach will have been at the game, and therefore immediately after the game, could, even at half time, could have given him some operational advice, appropriate advice. One of encouragement at half time, if he's been, you know, he's faced with that. Because I think I'd be going in and saying, Look, um, you got there in the end and you got the right call. Be confident that this is not a major error. This is a, an incident. This is why VAR's in. So it's one of encouragement. Obviously, there's the midweek fixtures coming up that where they've all been appointed. I would be looking to give him another game pretty soon. And that would be in the next couple of weeks, three weeks. But the PGMOL tend not to do that. They tend to hang around and not give the appointment so quickly. And I think that, that's a pity. You know, Jared Gillett, who's produced quite well his games um, so far, he's only had two games. And you think, well, uh, hopefully those things could be resolved pretty quickly. Um, and they get these referees out. We need succession planning. We need some newer referees. And Michael Salisbury, you know, look, the one thing he can do is he can go home and sit with his dad, who's a really, really experienced referee, and seek some operational advice from him. Keith, as always, it's been great to get your thoughts this week on the show. If you've got a question for Keith, our email, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk. You can send a message as well uh, to us on Twitter. And uh, I say this every week, uh, we do new episodes of Seen Them Given every Monday. And if you've enjoyed the show, there's a few ways you can find us, of course, on the podcast. We're also on YouTube now. Uh, so do find us there. You can subscribe to the podcast there too. And if you uh, like what you hear, give us a rating, leave a review. So it helps other people discover the show as well. For now, though, thanks so much for your company, Keith. Thank you. We will see you next time.